what do I think is the best argument for the existence of God? That's what we're going to be talking about on the show today. This is Ryan Polly, and you are listening to Coffee House Questions. Now, for those of you who are listening on 100.1 KGBA, just to let you know that if you ever miss an episode or you can't tune in on Saturday nights, you can also always find this on iTunes or different podcasting apps, uh, the Coffee House Questions with Ryan Polly, And those that list on podcasts, awesome, and thank you so much. I also just want to say those of you who have been rating and reviewing the show, I appreciate that so much. More ratings have come in on iTunes. Bemret, you left a review. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me because that really helps this show get out to more people. You know, I don't do this show to make money. I don't have a Patreon account. I'm not asking for donations. I'm not getting rich off this. Uh, I just spend my own money to make this because I just love making it. And so it is really special to me when those of you who are listening just love listening and you want to share it with more people. So you share it on your social media with your family or friends or even rate the show on iTunes so that uh, more people can see it. Because if you shop on Amazon or anything, you know how important ratings are and that there's a lot of stars and there's a lot of different people rating and reviewing. So thank you so much for those of you who have done that. A quick little look at the schedule coming up before we jump in. Uh, this coming weekend, uh, on the 28th and 29th of the Student Rethink Apologetics Conference in Costa Mesa, California, put on by Stand to Reason. Now, I just found out yesterday they posted it has actually been sold out. They sold out all 2,000 seats that they had available for this conference. I was going to advertise it and say, come on by, but I guess, uh, sorry. It is all sold out. But that is so exciting because for me, as someone who does student apologetics, to think about that this student apologetics conference has been sold out. The 2,000 people are coming to hear the truth of Christianity, to hear a defense and the reliability of the Gospels is just so exciting. And so hopefully that just a simple idea get out gets out there. And so people realize, wow, this really is important stuff. Wow, this is stuff that students care about. Students have a lot of questions and we should be giving them good answers. And so there's an awesome conference uh, that has now sold out, but here in Southern California, but it's also available next year in, in multiple different locations. And so rethinkapologetics.com has that information. Also on October 1st, I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Craig Hazen, the director of the Apologetics program at Biola University, on his new book, Fearless Prayer. And so this is a little bit different than an apologetics topic, but it's a really cool, interesting book that he has just put out uh, that I'm going to be talking with him about. And so if you have questions about prayer, if you have questions about uh, maybe an apologetic aspect of how do we respond when God doesn't answer prayers, kind of like the problem of evil or or bad things are happening and we're asking God to help and it's not, it's not happening, or even just general apologetics questions, uh, you can send those in for Dr. Hazen, and I will be sure to try to include them on my interview on October 1st with him. So you can send those in uh, by email at contact at coffeehousequestions.com. You can go to Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, at RyanPolly3 is the ad there. Uh, or you can text in your questions and comments at 714-989-6927. So one more uh bit of information before we jump in the show, because the last few weeks, it's just been a lot of interviews. And so I haven't gotten a chance to really kind of catch you guys up on what's happening. But just this past week or two, uh, I started doing something a little bit different with my Instagram account, and we'll see kind of what happens with it. 
But I have in my classroom, I have a folder where the students can ask me any question that they want. Uh, so they write it down on a piece of paper. It can be anonymous. Most of the time it is. They drop the question in the folder, and then I answer it at the beginning of each class. And so I have four different classes a week. I teach on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, or Monday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, because of block day on Tuesday, Wednesday. And so at the beginning of every single class, four times a week, I start out with the question of the day. So obviously I'm filtering these questions in a sense of just making sure they're appropriate, uh, but they can be silly, they can be serious, and I answer one question every single day. So questions that have come in recently is like, what is Scientology? Are flannel shirts my favorite kind of shirt? How do I balance my time with speaking and podcasting and teaching um, and working and all that kind of stuff? Is there any concept that I know of that's unassailable? They've also asked me about why, if I like different kinds of chocolate, just fun, serious, everything in between. And so what I've decided to do is I've decided to start to post those questions of the day on Instagram. So at RyanPoly3 is the ad there for Instagram. You can go there. And on the story, about four times a week, I will have a, a post that posts the question of the day, and then I'll have a response. So normally on Instagram TV, if it's a longer response, I will be uh, given an explanation of what I do or what I think or what I how I defend that certain point or how I answer that certain question. If it's a short response, then I'll just answer it right there in the story. And so if you're on Instagram, you can follow me at RyanPoly3 and check out my students' question of the day. The only problem right now is that the questions only come from my students. You have to be in my class. But hopefully you can see what they're asking. And what's been really cool is that my students, since I answer a question every single day, they're taking it more seriously and they're turning in more questions. In the past, I've just said, hey, if you ever have a question, turn it in and, and I'll answer it from time to time. And I, and I didn't really take it that seriously. I didn't answer their questions very frequently. And so they didn't really turn in any questions. And I've shown this year that, no, I'm going to block off the first two minutes of every class, give a quick answer to one of their questions every single time. Now they come in expecting it. They come in knowing that my, their question might be answered and they're more likely to turn in questions. And so I think it's really cool showing that, look, when I take your question seriously, then they actually take it seriously as well. And so there's some updates and things that are happening and things that I'm just trying out and interviews to look forward to. So hopefully you guys can check out that stuff. All right, so the topic, I told you, what do I think is the best argument for God's existence? Now, hopefully you didn't just skip the last five minutes and jump to this, but if you did, here we are. I think that the best argument for God's existence is the fact that you can even make an argument. For me, the Kalam cosmological argument is very convincing that our universe began to exist and therefore it needs a cause for its existence and that the cause that makes the most sense is one that's spaceless, timeless, and immaterial, powerful, sounds a lot like God. But also, taking one more step back, the fact that we can even make an argument, I think, proves the fact that God exists. We are conscious, thinking beings that have reasoning capabilities that I don't think are explained within an atheistic framework or a materialistic or secular uh, naturalistic framework. All those terms mean kind of different things. So by materialist, it's, hey, only the material world exists. Or naturalist is that there's a natural cause for all things. And so not all atheists are materials or naturalists, um, but from that sort of framework, a materialistic, naturalistic framework, I don't think that thinking is possible. Now, I was planning to do this show a few months back when I actually heard a Christian call into the Atheist Experience podcast slash TV show uh, YouTube channel and uh, offer a similar objection where he's going to use a lot of the same points. And he made some really good points, but he also made 
some mistakes in how he worded those points, which caused the atheists on the atheist experience to kind of tie him in knots, twist him up into some circles to where he finally left the conversation by saying, ah, I have no idea. That's a brain teaser. I got to think about this. So what was it that he said? I want to kind of work through his conversation and talk through uh, why I think this is such a strong argument. Now, this is actually kind of lines up perfectly because I just covered this in my high school class this last week uh, as we're talking about how we uh, become knowers and how can we know things and what system provides a way of finding true knowledge, which is a true justified belief. So anyways, this Christian calls into the atheist experience and he starts off with the question, do atheists believe in love? In which the response was, oh, hit my desk, in which their response was, well, of course, yeah, most of us have experienced love. So yes, we believe that we experience love. So he says then, atheists only believe in things that have evidence and can be tested or seen, in which they respond, no, atheists are people who don't believe in God. And so he kind of goes down this rabbit trail. Now, then he says, well, why don't they believe in God? So now we're already kind of off topic a little bit, uh, talking about the existence or why they don't believe in God versus how can an atheist believe or experience or have this understanding of love? And so he kind of comes back to this topic and he goes, okay, if you don't believe in God, how can you believe in love? Only people who believe in God can have justification for believing in love. And they say, well, why is that? And he goes, if atheist, if atheism is true, love is nothing but chemical reactions in our brain or blind chemical reactions. Okay. So a couple of things here is I think he has a true point. If that if it materialistic or atheistic, however you want to define those terms, if a materialistic, if only the material world exists, if that worldview is true, then we are nothing more than chemical reactions. Love is simply just a chemical reaction. We are the blind, uh, blind chemical reaction, just a process and a result of evolution. And there isn't this consciousness to us. So I think that point is true. However, he starts off by saying, if you don't believe in God, how can you believe in love? Only people who believe in God can have a justification for believing in love. And that is false. You do not have to believe in God to have a justification for believing in love. I think that God has to exist for you to have a justification for believing in love. Right? This is oftentimes the argument where a Christian will say, if you don't believe in God, then there is no right and wrong in which an atheist says, look, I don't believe in God, but I can be better than many Christians. And I agree, you don't have to believe in God in order to be a good person, in order for there to be right and wrong, in order for you to do good things. The question is not if you believe in God. The question is if God exists, is there an objective right and wrong? So what we're talking about here is not how we come to our knowledge of what is right and wrong, our epistemology. It's not talking about how our knowledge of how we understand whether love exists or doesn't. It's talking about the ontology. Does this actually exist? And so the, the, the Christian here makes a mistake here at the very beginning where he phrased it, if you don't believe in God, how can you believe in love? Instead, a better way of saying this is if God doesn't exist, how can you believe in love? All right, so the conversation goes on, and they, a, the atheist responds and says, what would be so horrible about that? What would be horrible about uh, us just being chemical reactions or love being a chemical reaction? And the Christian responds and says, well, if love would, if, then love would just be chemicals and not have meaning. The atheist says, well, no, we give it meaning, so it has meaning. And they said, well, how can you give it meaning if it's just chemicals? And the atheist responds, because I'm a thinking, caring human being capable of applying meaning to whatever I experience. 
Okay, now let's stop here again. If we are just chemical reactions, then my argument is that we're not thinking, caring, human beings capable of applying meaning to whatever we experience. We are simply just reacting to what our brain has determined for us. If determinism is true, where you do not have free will, where your brain is just choosing things for you, then you're not a thinking, caring human being capable of applying meaning to whatever I experience. And so here, again, the Christian kind of didn't catch this part where he says, look, if this materialistic, naturalistic worldview is true, then how can you give meaning to these chemicals? How can you give meaning to this chemical of love that you experience? And they go, well, because I'm thinking. And of course he goes, well, yeah, I know that we're thinking. Okay. And it kind of trips him up a little, a little bit. And so he then responds. He says, well, if chemical reactions are making you feel these emotions. How can it be more than just chemical reactions? So here's where I think it kind of got interesting. And there's only about two parts left. The atheist then responds and says, the mother holding her child is going to re- release oxytocin into her blood. And this is called the love chemical, which is true. That when you have these strong emotional connections, there are chemicals involved. Now, the Christian goes, well, that doesn't happen if you're an atheist. And the atheist says, well, yeah, an atheist mother has the same chemical reactions, whether you believe in God or not. It's the same chemical reactions going on. But again, the question here shouldn't be whether a chemical is involved or not. As a Christian, yeah, we believe that there are chemicals in your brain that are, are affecting the way that you live and move and feel. But that's not the question. The question is whether we have an immaterial soul and a mind that is causally connected to our brain in helping us with these things and our rational capabilities. Is it simply just chemicals or do we have our soul, our rational capabilities, our emotions, and then that has a causal connection to our brain, which then does release chemicals when things take place. Now, they go on from here and the Christian says, well, a computer is just made of parts, but it's just a computer. It has no sense of love. If we are just elements bound together, wouldn't we be just like a machine? Now, I think this is a really good point. And this is what I often argue and what I argued with my students this week. If materialism is true, if only the material world exists, then we as human beings are purely just material things. And we are just like advanced computers. We're, we're robots, or as Frank Turk says, a moist robot. And if this is true, we are a robot. We are just a physical machine that is the product of an evolutionary process. And as I talked about with my students, I think it's interesting, or this is an interesting point of this. Evolution selects based on the fittest on survival, not based on truth. The evolutionary process is going to select, natural selection is based on what is survival, not based on what is actually true. And it's possible to have false beliefs that allow you to better survive. And if you have a false belief that allows you to better survive, then evolution should pick that because it's better for survival than someone who believes something that is true that actually hurts their chance of survival. And so if we If only the material world exists and we are just advanced machines, we're just robots and we are a robot and our brain is the product of an evolutionary process that has been uh, programmed based on survival, not necessarily truth. The question is, well, how do we actually trust our brain? 
how do we know that our brain is giving out correct information? And so an example that I use again with my students this week was this. If we had all their laptops, let's say we got 20 laptops in a computer, in a room, and we program each laptop to give a different answer to a math question. So when you put in 2 plus 2, one computer says 5, another one says 18, another one says negative 2, another one says 75. And I said, look, if we only have these computers here, which computer, uh, how, how are the computers ever going to figure out which one is right? And they all respond, well, no. Like, the computers do not have consciousness. They do not have the ability to relate to one another to figure out which one is right. They are simply just doing what they have been programmed to do. And a computer doesn't know if what it's doing is right or wrong, if it's true or false. And I think the same would be true for us. If only a material universe exists and our brain is a programmed machine like uh, from the process of evolution that focuses on survival instead of truth, then how could we possibly ever know if what our brain is doing and producing is actually true? We would simply say this is the answer because that's what we've been programmed to say, but there's no way we can actually know if that answer is true or false. And so I think here, <clears throat> this Christian is making a very good point. If just like a computer is a computer made of parts, it has no sense of love. If we are just bound parts together just like that, wouldn't we be just like the machine? And the atheist responds and goes, no, obviously we are not. We are capable of experiencing emotions which machines do not. And I want to say, absolutely, I agree. We aren't just like a machine. We are capable of experiencing emotions. Now, how do you explain the experience of emotions we have within a materialistic universe? If only materials exist, how are we different than machines which are purely material? We are different because we are capable of experiencing emotions and we are thinking rational human beings that can give meaning to stuff. Now, how do you explain that? And this is where within kind of philosophy, we have what's called the problem of mind. You have this problem, which human beings have this thing called consciousness that sets us apart from material things, from rocks and machines. The problem is, is how does a purely material universe produce an immaterial mind or consciousness, a part of humans that's unanswered, that's inexplicable within a materialistic universe? The best explanation for our mind, for our consciousness, is a conscious being outside of the universe that created us in that way. The materialistic universe cannot explain an immaterial mind. In fact, an immaterial mind can't exist in a material universe, in an only material universe. And so we'd be left to be only a material machine, and then we should be acting like the same as the computers. And so I think this Christian has a good point here when he says, look, these machines have no sense of love. And so how can an atheist have a sense of love? Well, again, take a step back. At the beginning, he talked about atheism as just believing God exists versus there actually being a God. And so here I agree again. No, obviously, we're not like machines. We are capable of experiencing emotions. But what explains that? So here the Christian comes back and he says, OK, organisms like people or animals can have emotions, but machines cannot. And. So then the atheist responds and goes, do you think dogs have emotions? Do they love people who care for them? The Christian says, yes. And she goes, do you think dogs believe in God? The Christian says, no. And then the atheist says, by your own logic, then how can this be possible? And that's when the Christian says, I don't know. That's a brain teaser. I'll have to think about that. Now, look, the, the, the conversation goes back to ending with this question. 
It's based on epistemology versus ontology. It's not if you believe in God. Yeah, it's right. Dogs can experience some emotions. They do have a love or a connection with their with the people who care for them. Do they believe in God? No, they don't. Because you don't have to believe in God in order to experience these things. But God has to exist. Here's the, the, one I, the example of this that I love I get from Frank Turek. You don't have to believe in an author in order to read a book. You can pick up a book. You can pick up a magazine. You can pick up a newspaper. You can pick up any of that stuff. You can read it. You can understand it. You can learn from it. And you can deny that there is an author. You can pick up a book and say, there is no author. I believe there is no author to this book. And you can still read it. But if there was no author, there would be no book to read. If there was no author, there would be no magazine to read. So the question is not if you believe in the author. The question is if there is an author, right? You can buy a car. You can buy a Model T Ford. You can buy Maybe not today, but you can buy a car and deny that Henry Ford existed. But if Henry Ford never existed, we wouldn't have that car. We'd have maybe something different eventually, maybe back then. See, the point is this, is you don't have to believe in God in order to experience love. You don't have to believe in an author in order to read a book. You don't have to believe in God in order for there to be right and wrong. But if God didn't exist, there would be no love. If God didn't exist, there would be no right and wrong. If the author didn't exist, there would be no book. And so here talking about animals. Yeah, God created some animals to be able to kind of connect emotionally with humans. Yeah, they don't believe in God because belief in God isn't what changes this. It's the universe. It's the, it's the worldview in which we take to apply to the universe. Does the universe consist of material and immaterial entities? Is there a possibility of a supernatural world as well as a natural world? Or is only the natural, does only the natural world exist? So that's the question that we're talking about here. And so I think this conversation on the atheistic experience, the Christian had a lot of really good points, but they were slightly twisted in the way that he presented them uh, that caused him to kind of slip up, that caused the atheist to kind of have a place where they could kind of pick it apart. And so hopefully that's a little bit of an encouragement to us as we look at this and as we have conversations of the way that we explain things, man, we have to be very careful. It's very important the way that we explain things, that we understand things well and understand the words that we use. And so this is an argument that I have used many times. I've talked to, I always teach it to my students when we cover uh, kind of these sections, when we talk about uh, how we understand the mind, is that this, is that you have people like Daniel Dennett, atheist philosopher, uh, Sam Harris, a neuroscientist, uh, an atheist, uh, that say that are determinists. Daniel Dennett says that consciousness is just an illusion. It's your brain playing tricks on you. It's not doesn't it doesn't actually exist. Sam Harris is is, is a determinist where he says, look, you don't make any choices, right? Your brain has just been programmed to do certain things. It's kind of like a math equation that two plus two equals four. And if you rebind and replay that math equation a hundred billion times, it's always going to come out to four where he gives an example in a video of his where he looks at his two hands and goes, okay, now pick one, pick which one you want and you want to raise up in the air and you raise your right hand in the air. And he goes, you didn't actually choose that. Your brain made you raise your right hand in the air. And if we rewound that, played it a hundred billion times, you would always raise your right hand in the air because the past events of your life have added up to you making that decision or you doing that action, 
you're not actually freely choosing it. But again, just like the atheists on the show said, but that's, doesn't, that's not what we experience. And so you have this problem of this goes against everything that we experience. And so is our experience wrong and we really are just machines? If so, then how do you explain things like love? How do you explain uh, our, our reasoning abilities? How do you actually know, more importantly, how do you actually know that what you are saying is true? Because your brain could be programmed incorrectly. And so us as human beings, I think that, look, we can know that what we're saying is true and false because we, as the atheist said here at the beginning, because we are thinking, caring human beings capable of applying meaning, we're thinking we can process, we can compare and contrast different views, and we can come to what we believe is the best explanation. But how do you explain that concept, our thinking, our consciousness, this immaterial reality about us, if only the material world exists? And so I think here the Christian, Christian worldview has a very strong, very good explanatory power when it says, look, because there is an immaterial being, a thinking rational being that exists outside the universe, he created us in his image so that we would also be thinking beings. We would also be knowers. That is a, the ex, best explanation for how we are also thinking human beings capable of knowing and processing. And so when you compare and contrast these different worldviews, which one really does make the most sense? If you have other thoughts or, or ideas about this kind of argument and, and how you presented it, I would love to hear uh, from you. So you can go to those uh, different sites and different ways of contacting me, like I mentioned before. But here's what I think is then cool about the Christian worldview is it all doesn't rest on one thing. Right? I think this is a very strong, powerful argument for what gives us even the ability to do investigative studies, the, even the ability to be aware of our surroundings. And then so now once we are aware of our surroundings, once we now realize that we are conscious, then we can look at things like the universe and the Kalam cosmological argument. Then we can look at things like the fine-tuning, designed aspects of our universe or the moral argument and understanding what is right from wrong. And we start to piece these different arguments together to see this picture of this God that exists who is transcendent yet also eminent who is existing outside of our physical universe but is also so very close to us and then we see that eminence of god we see that closeness of god finally accumulating in the evidence for the resurrection in the person of jesus christ and so when we look at these things and we compare them together we can look and we can see wow the fact that we are even rational thinking capable human beings this points to a rational god creating us in his image and then now this ability that we have gives us the ability to understand god to study him to learn more about him to grow in our knowledge of him as we investigate our universe and the world around us and then finally then leading to the person of jesus christ God's special revelation to us, helping us understand who we are at a deeper level, who we need to be, and how we can be reconciled to him in that relationship. That when you start to piece these things together, it is incredible. The God that we worship and the God that we serve is a God who is so powerful above us in, in, many different, in all different ways, yet created us to be like him to know and know him and then came and gave his life for us so that we could be reconciled back into right relationship with him. How so incredibly cool is that, 
right? That is so special, so amazing. And that's why I love this, that when you start to piece these arguments together, you get such a strong cumulative case for the resurrection of Jesus, for the existence of God, for the reliability of the New Testament, that you can see that, wow, the God that we worship is so amazing, so powerful, is in, that we should be in awe of him, yet he comes so close to us and desires that relationship with us. He desires that personal connection with us. And that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit uh, in the next little few weeks when I do my interview with Dr. Craig Hazen of now fearless prayer. How do we pray? How should we pray? How do we connect with this God of the universe in a way that's fearless, recognizing that he wants to give good gifts to us, his children, uh, when we come to him in a right attitude, right perspective in relationship with him. And so I just want to leave you guys with that. Hopefully this has been encouraging, not just a, a strict look at the philosophical arguments and, and the arguments for God's existence based on consciousness and love, but really a look at how all these things piece together to give us an understanding of who God is and how we can love him and be in relationship with him. Well, I hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Coffee House Questions. Again, send in those questions and comments for my interview with Dr. Craig Hazen. Check out the Student Rethink Apologetics conferences all around the country and your chance to really connect and help your students grow in understanding of who God is and why he is so important. Thank you so much for listening. Share this with a friend or family member if you've enjoyed it. Maybe give it a rate on your social media app. Thank you so much again for listening. Have a wonderful week and weekend. Sip coffee and think deeply. This is Ryan Pollock with Coffee House Questions. I just ask you leave, won't hesitate to follow. Your love will guide me.